morning. Good to see you. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 7. And we have uh, come to the last sermon in this series. Um, I, I don't know when we began it, but we've been all the way through from chapter 5 through chapter 7 uh, today. And uh, we're going to wrap it up, so it'll be kind of a whirlwind through it. But I want to focus on a fall to avoid. We want a fa- to avoid a fall. Twice in my life, having grown up in Louisiana and, and lived in Texas for more years than I lived in Louisiana, twice in my life I have slipped on ice, okay, and hurt myself. I've probably slipped on my li- ice more than twice, but I've hurt myself twice doing so. Uh, the first time was years ago. I was probably 20-ish 21, 22, I was working for the city of Shreveport, and we had an icy day, and I ended up uh, going in and, you know, easing my way into, into work, and one of the things that uh, um, I had to do is I had to salt things down, and as I was salting things down, the sidewalks and everything, uh, I looked, and there was a lady had come from the street and was coming up the, through the entrance of City Hall, and she was crossing over this sheet of ice. And all I could think of, you know, is, boy, she's going to just bust it right there. So I went up the hill up to where she was. I said, let me help you. And I walked on the grass till I got up there, and I was walking. And as we were walking, we went to hit the steps, and when she put her foot down, her feet went out. She was holding on to me. And she didn't let go. And I went down with her, and she was fine. I got up, and I helped her up, and I said, are you okay? She said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, we're trying to get all this stuff salted down. Try not to come back up until we have it. So, And so I continued to salt down, and I looked down, and I had blood running down my leg. I took about nine stitches in my knee. I thought, you know what? From now on, I'm not walking on ice unless it's been salted. A few months back, we had ice here. Snow, ice, you know, something you don't expect around here. We're not real experienced with it. And so I walk out on my front porch, and I'm going to leave, and I have my backpack thrown over my shoulder. And I think, you know, I'm going to grab hold of this, and I'll just ease myself down. And I hit that first step, and when I did, my legs went out up, up underneath the rail, and I came down on my leg, and I hit uh, my my thigh right there on the corner of that step, and I walked gimpy for about a week. I had a bruise that went from up here all the way down. That old bruise, it just broke loose, and it kind of eased down my leg for quite a while. And so I've resolved that I will not go down steps anymore unless they have a little salt on them. I did that before. I didn't pay any attention to it. My own rule. You should learn to obey my rules. We have a fall to avoid, and it comes through faith in Jesus Christ, and that faith brings about a life that desires obedience in Jesus Christ. We have a fall that we want to avoid, and that is the fall that is great in the end. Having believed, we have trusted in Jesus only to come to discover at the end that we have not. 
Jesus has pointed that out in the immediate context, pointing toward false teachers, pointing toward those who have relied upon the works that they have done in this life, whether it be preaching, whether it be doing good works, things like that, even recognizing his authority, calling him Lord, Lord. And he says, depart from me. Continuing on, uh, in the broader context, we go up and we see that there are false prophets that peddle a gospel that leads to a great fall. You can tell them by their fruits, bad fruits. And the bad fruits produce a bad gospel, and a bad gospel produces a bad fall. As we continue to move, uh, move up in that, we find that there's only one way, and the message that the false prophets are peddling is not the way that Christ said that leads to righteousness. It's not the way that leads to life. Enter the narrow gate, he says. And it's only the narrow gate that we can enter and not experience a great fall in the end. Throughout this Sermon series, we have looked and Jesus has been describing things related to the kingdom of God. He's been laying out the character of those who are kingdom citizens. We find that in the Beatitudes. We find it also in the, uh, that we are salt and we are light. We find that Jesus not only says that as Christians, as those who are kingdom citizens, we have a characteristic about us that is different from the world around us, but also that we are to walk in righteousness, but that righteousness is to exceed that of the Pharisees. Their righteousness was one of show and one that sought the glory of men. The righteousness that we are to live out comes only through Jesus Christ and seeks only to bring glory to God. As he walks through that, he, he teaches us uh, how we are to live and that we are to understand the law and as he goes, he says, but I say to you, or but I tell you. Jesus is always pointing to uh, the law, and then he's saying, let me explain. You know, the Pharisees say, don't murder anybody. But I say to you, don't be angry with your brother, because you've murdered him in your heart if you have. Don't commit adultery, but don't lust after another woman. There's a multitude of ways that Jesus expresses how we are to live and how we are to walk according to the Word of God. Not only do we have a character that has been uh, wrought by the Spirit of God, but also we have a way to live and to walk that is wrought also by the Spirit of God. It's the law of life. And Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law. And now you follow me as I have lived. We want to avoid a fall. And I want us to look today at a, a beautiful illustration that he wraps it up with. It's not difficult. It's pretty simple, actually. Uh, it's kind of a common thing. He's talking about a, a man building a house. That's, that's it. Pretty simple for everybody who lived that day. They all had to build houses. Uh, they had to, uh, you know, often make brick or they had to do various things in order to 
build a house, but they understood what it's about building a house. And so I, I want us to look at that and what Jesus is basically talking about is if you're going to listen to me, you're going to hear my words, do my words. Because hearing my words alone is not enough. You have to do what I say. That's the sign of genuine faith. And so I want us to look at this, uh, this parable that he lays out, this story. And it goes along with this. It's a really good summary of the Sermon on the Mount. And I want us to think about three things. I want us to notice three things that Jesus gives us that are helpful to us to live out our life in Christ. First of all, I want us to see that he has given us words to live by. He has given us words to live by. Secondly, I want us to notice that we as believers have work to do. Not for salvation, but to put on display the power of God working in us. Put on display what God does with the ungodly when he saves them and rescues them. We have a work to do, a life to live, if you will. And thirdly, I want us to see that we have weather to endure. We have weather to endure. Storms and floods and winds and tribulations. And that's what comes along in this life. Trouble. So I, we have words to live by, work to do, and weather to endure. Let's look at those things. First of all, we have words to live by. Notice what Jesus says. Everyone then, uh, that then, by the way, is therefore. So he's coming off of everything that he's just said, therefore. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Let me read verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. I want you to notice that he says, everyone. Everyone who hears and does will not experience a fall. Everyone who hears and does not do, their fall will be great. Everyone. There are no exceptions here. There are no exceptions that those who will not fall hear and do. There are no exceptions that those who hear and do not do will experience a great fall. Everyone. All. Kind of narrowing it down. There's not a third way, by the way. All right? There's not a th Jesus doesn't give a third way. Or anything that you think will work for you. He doesn't do that. He says there's two ways and there, there's only two ways. And everyone who chooses this way will experience the results of this way. And everyone who chooses this way will experience the results of this way. There's no other options. 
We're coming to the end of this sermon, and he's giving people a choice. Hear my words and do them, or hear my words and don't do them. There are no other choices. What does he do? Listen. Who hears, everyone then, who hears these words of mine. Let's just stop there. Because his words are words to live by. They are the words of him. Not the words of philosophers. Not the words of other prophets. But the words of God. The words of Jesus Christ and him alone. Throughout the sermon, Jesus uh, has used phrases to indicate the power and authority of his words. He says, you've heard what the law says, and he lays out the law. You shall not commit murder. Well, that's the law. It's right there in the word of God. But then he says, but I say to you, you shall not be angry with your brother. I tell you the truth. These are phrases that he uses and they're examples. But what's he doing? He's, he's highlighting the law. He's saying, let me tell you something. Your anger is no different than if you took a knife and ran it through his heart. It's sin. And you have to defeat it. Jesus is quick to point out just before he breaks into this, uh, this section of the Sermon on the Mount that he didn't come to change the law. Uh, I didn't come to change it. I came to fulfill the law. And then he lays out ways his hearers can understand the law in practical daily living. Look at the last words of this section, verse 29, 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why? He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. What does that mean? I mean, Jesus was speaking words, and those words were authoritative. Those words were powerful. It at least means this. The scribes were those who knew the law best. I mean, they, I mean the, the name of them describes what they did. They were the lawyers. They were the ones who wrote out and copied the law. I mean, they knew it better than anybody because they were constantly writing it. The Pharisee would look over to the scribe and say, hey, what's the law say on this? And the scribe would just spout it off. But those Pharisees and the scribes, they treated people like dirt. They said, here's the law. Well, we hadn't murdered anybody. But then they would heap on the backs of people. Things they weren't willing to do themselves. I think the character of Jesus matched the words of Jesus. There was great authority there because he is God. These are my words. 
He's saying there at the end, we pointed out yesterday, at the end, uh, on the last day, that they're going to say, Lord, Lord. And I will say to them, I mean, he's got himself in the place of the judge. I will say to them, depart from me. His words are words to live by. He wasn't like the scribes spouting rules and regulations. He was instead giving practical application for living as citizens of the kingdom of God. Here's how you live out this gospel that I proclaim, this truth that is yours. Here's how you live it out. I read just before my pastoral prayer this morning, Psalm 119. And we see that 119 is doing very much like what this story that Jesus is, this parable that Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you hear my words, do my words. Live my words. And what does Psalm 119 do over and over and over again? Affirms the power of the word of God and commits himself, the psalmist, to following after those words. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. That's our prayer, isn't it? Y'all hear it? I want to read it again. I don't know if y'all are paying attention or not, so I'm going to read it again. All right? It says this, You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Jesus said these words. He who hears these words of mine and does them. Did y'all hear that? You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Can I ask you a question? Are your ways steadfast in keeping his statutes? I'm not asking you to answer it out loud, raise your hand or anything. I'm just asking you to ponder that. Is there a steadfastness in your heart, in your mind, in your life? I want to keep the Word of God. I want to do this. I want to be steadfast. I want to be immovable from doing the will of God. That's what He's calling us to. That's what the Word of God calls us to. His words are words to live by. Y'all might remember in John chapter 6, I won't turn there, but Jesus preaches a sermon of eat my flesh and drink my blood. And I imagine that wasn't a very popular sermon because at the end of the sermon, all the disciples left. Those that had been following him walked away from him except for the 12. And Jesus looked at the 12 and he said, Y'all aren't going to leave too, are you? I love old Peter. Man, he, is, he was either nailing it and saying it right, or he was completely messing it up and saying it all wrong. Y'all aren't leaving too, are you? 
whom shall we go? You have the words of life. And Jesus is speaking words to live by. How, how do I live this life? Oh, let me turn to the word of God. Jesus gives us words to live by. God fills the pages with words to live by. How do I forgive? He tells us. How do I pray? He shows us. If we're going to have a fall, we're going to avoid a fall. We're going to have to live by the word of God. Secondly, if we're going to avoid a great fall, we have a work to do. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. Know for a fact that I'm not teaching salvation by works. The works that are done by those who are in Christ Jesus are proving that the salvation has taken place. They are evidence. Matter of fact, it's the only evidence that we have from our side is that I'm continuing to walk. We have Jesus' words to live by, but it's not enough to merely know these words. In 20 some odd years of ministry, I've become somewhat familiar with the Word of God. And I can answer a lot of questions on the spot. All right, I just, I just anticipate now somebody coming up to me afterwards with some way out there question, you know, about something that I have never heard of before. Okay, so go ahead and do that and I'll tell you, I don't know. But I've become quite familiar with it and I can answer a lot of questions. But none of that knowledge... None of my capacity to be able to give you an answer that is good and true as best as I can do in my human form. None of that will gain me interest into the kingdom of God. None of it. Your ability to interpret and explain the depths of Scripture are of no use in entering the kingdom of God if you do not do them. That's what Jesus is saying. You might be able to parse Greek verbs. You might be able to preach from the Greek text. You may be able to understand everything. But if you don't do it, it's of no value to you. Last week I pointed out this truth out of 1 Corinthians 13. You know what? If I can speak in tongues or prophesy and have not love, I'm just a clanging symbol. I 
I know all sorts of things, but I don't have love. I'm nothing, and I gain nothing. Jesus is saying, matter-of-factly, just as James says in James chapter 1, thought I had marked, verse 22 says this, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Anybody ever do that? Occasionally, I will come here to the office and I'll go or I'll go make a visit or I'll be doing something, you know, in a ministry atmosphere. Having in the morning gotten up and, you know, shaved and all these things and looked in the mirror and made sure, you know, best I could see, you know, I mean, you have to do this in order to shave, and then you have to do this to make sure you got it, and then you have to do this to get what you missed, and you have to look again. You got to do all this stuff. So I look at myself a lot in the mirror in the morning, you know, because I have to on and off with the glasses. Yes. But then I go make a visit, and I imagine myself walking in, having 16-year-old hair that flowed like this, man. I jest, okay? I never imagined that. I'm so far away from hair, you can't even imagine. But I did once have long hair. Did like this, it was wavy like this. That never happens, by the way. I know I'm bald. I don't walk away from the mirror and think, I've got a full head of hair, you know? I never do that. Do you know why? It's not true. And I don't forget myself. James is saying, if you're a hearer but not a doer, you have forgotten who you are. You have no concept of who you are nor whose you are. If you don't do the Word of God, and you say, well, I believe the Word of God, but you don't do the Word of God, you're not telling the truth. You're not speaking the truth. You're not living the truth. And you will not experience the truth in the end. Except the truth of a great fall that comes to those who hear but do not do. First John chapter 3, verse 7 says, Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. A whole lot of practicing stuff in First John. Practicing sinfulness, practicing lawlessness, practicing righteousness. One who practices righteousness is righteous, not because 
of his working, but because of what Jesus has wrought in him. We want to build a sturdy house. Starts on a foundation of a rock, which is Jesus. I got a lot of sand at my place, and eventually I'm going to build a barn. And one thing I know I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to dig down somewhere below the sand, find something that's solid, set the post on. I can't just set the post on the ground and then hope for the best because I can tell you what's going to happen with that thing. Same thing that's happening with my, my shed out to the side of my house. It's starting to slide down the hill. This story is very meaningful to me. I'm watching this thing slide down the hill. Why? It's sitting on sand. We want to build a sturdy house. We want to build a sturdy life. We want to have sturdy souls that do not move from the one who has redeemed us. Jesus says it very clearly. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. All of our hope is in Jesus Christ. But we just sang that, didn't we? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I mean, on Him. And all my hope is in Him. All my hope for forgiveness of sin, in Him. All my hope for walking in righteousness in Him. All my hope for eternal life in Him. In Him alone. What does He call us to? Do the gospel. Live the gospel. Let me give you four things. I just kind of summed it up as in four things real quick. If, if I'm going to define the work to do in four things, I'm going to say this. We have a king to love, all right? Uh, remember, we're talking about kingdom citizens here. We have a king to love, a father, if you will, to love. Whatever name we apply, father, king, God. The Scripture tells us, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to love Him with everything that we have, all of our being. Amen. That's what you do, isn't it? Y'all remember Jesus over at Simon's house? Simon the Pharisee, not Simon Peter. And he's sitting there, and Simon invites him in. He's going to have him for dinner, and this woman comes in. And what does she do? She comes in. Tears streaming down her face. She had already met Jesus, as he's going to explain in a very brief way. She comes in and she falls at his feet and she begins to weep on his feet and wash his feet with her tears and dry his feet with her hair. 
And Simon said, man, if he knew what kind of woman this is, if he was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. And that she wouldn't be touching him. Jesus said, you know, Simon, I got here. You didn't offer me any water to wash my feet. But here she is. She hadn't stopped weeping on my feet. You know why she's doing that, Simon? Because those who have been forgiven much love much. We have a God to love. We have been forgiven much. You may say, well, you know, I got saved. I really hadn't done a whole lot of bad things, you know, once I got saved. And so I really don't have a, a past, so to speak. I you know, I never did any of the things, then you misunderstand the nature of sin. The nature of sin is not only about the things that you have done. The nature of sin is that's who you are. It is the nature of yourself. And we are an offense to God in that way, and He has saved us. The ungodly. Saved us. Can you imagine? It's a reality. We have a king to love, but not only that, we have a love to share. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're to share the love of God all around. We're to make it known sharing the gospel. We're to make it known and caring for the poor. I mean, that's what Jesus did, isn't it? I mean, he quoted Isaiah. He said, you know, the captives have been set free. The blind, they see. The lame, they walk. The deaf, they hear. The mute, they speak. We have a work to do. And it's to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's to live it out in obedience, to walk in obedience. That's what he's called us to. We have a love to share the gospel, to make known. says of Christians, just as he had said of Israel, that we are a chosen people, holy race, royal priesthood, set apart for his own possession. Why? To proclaim the excellencies of him who's delivered us from death unto life. We have a love to share. In our work to do, we have a king or God to love. We have a love to share with our neighbors and all the world. And we have sin to kill. Jesus broke the power of sin on the cross. And in coming to him and receiving forgiveness, I love that. But then he said, we have this to do. Put to death sin in you. Kill it. Put it to death. Choke it out. Suffocate it. No rules apply when it comes to killing sin. Put it to death in your life. So when he says... And does them. 
This is what he's saying. The last thing, we have a reward to seek. We have a reward to seek. You know, that's what we're doing while we're here. I mean, having been redeemed, that's what we're doing. We're looking for the reward. That's okay, by the way. It's okay to be looking for that reward. Not like your bank account's going to fill up with money or anything. But our lives are to be shaped around the pursuit of the reward that he has called us to and given us freely in Jesus Christ. And that is him. He's the prize. Isn't that great? No, really. He's the prize. That's what we're seeking, to know him more. To know him now and to know him in days to come. He's the prize. He's the reward. When we get to heaven, I mean, I remember growing up, you know, people were talking about streets of gold and stuff like that. It says that. I get it. But we're not going to be impressed by that. It's not going to impress us much. Understand that in the midst of the people of God on that day will be the God that we love. And we're not going to be there because we deserve to be there. We're going to be there because of the graciousness of God. We're going to be there because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're going to be there because Jesus died to take away our sin. We're going to be there because He put in us the Holy Spirit. We're going to be there because He chose us before the foundation of the world. We're going to be there because we called on the name of the Lord. He's going to be in the midst of it. He is. That's what we're pursuing. That's our pursuit. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're going to avoid a fall. We've got words we have to live by, and we've got work to do. And as we do it, we have weather to endure. Notice what it says there built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock let's look at the one who built on sand he's a foolish man he built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall The Lord allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Don't notice that there's no difference in the the troubles that come in this life for both those who build on the rock and those who build on sand. The difference is is how we respond to those things. Notice that uh, uh, the, the same things are going on. We have weather to endure. These are natural things, if you will, that come against the house not saying that supernatural things don't but Jesus is speaking of those things and I believe he is both speaking in the present time and I think he's also speaking in the time to come troubles come 
often. Jesus said that, didn't he? I, I'm so glad Jesus was honest. I, I mean, if he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been Savior. But Jesus was honest. There's a lot of preachers that won't be honest, you know? Hey, if you do this, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> now, Jesus said, hey, in this world, trouble. You're going to have trouble. It's going to happen. The rain is going to fall. The floods are going to rise. The wind is going to blow, and they're going to beat you down. <laughs> and he said, but take heart. I've overcome the world and all the troubles and all the sorrows and all the pain, all the depression. I've overcome the world. Notice we see that things fall from above. They come up from below and they blow in from all directions. And it makes me happy that in Mark chapter 4, Jesus said, Something. He said, Hey, disciples, let's go over to the other side. Y'all remember this story? You can look it up, Mark chapter 4. Hey, let's go to the other side. The crowds were crowding in on him. He said, Let's go to the other side. He didn't feel the responsibility to stick around there and tend to those crowds. He said, Let's go to the other side. So they all got in a boat and they went out. These are professional fishermen, these are professional sailors. And they go out in the Sea of Galilee, and boom, storm comes up. Jesus taking a nap, okay? He's over there napping, and they're, they're bailing, you know. Can you see them with their buckets, you know? They're tossing water uh, out of there, and finally one of them runs over. I mean, the, the ship is, you know, just taking on water, and they all bailing. And Jesus over there just taking it easy. They woke him up, don't you care? If we perish, he got up and he said, peace, be still. Everything stopped. He said, oh, you have little faith. Why do you think he said that? Because at the beginning, he said, let's go over to the other side. Folks, I want you to know something. Jesus says he saves you. He saves you. And guess what we can do? We can walk through every storm and every valley and every difficulty you're walking in a place of depression, I want you to know he knows all about it. He knows the darkness. He understands that darkness that you're walking in. He can raise you up out of it, I promise you. Are you despondent? I know about that. I remember about a week in my life where I could not put a sentence together, literally, literally. Mind so crushed, I couldn't do it. He'll bring you out. Are you discouraged? Are you broken? Are you sorrowful? Are you anxious? Are you afraid? All these things, they're going to fall. They're going to rise up. They're going to blow in from all different directions. And I want you to know we can trust Jesus Christ with every one of them. You know why? He has redeemed our soul forever. And in that, we will have eternal life. And we will have a redeemed soul and a new body. And we will live forever. And so he not only points to how he cares for us now and how we can look to him and we can see that it's by him that we have assurance. Don't you have assurance in Christ? Where's your assurance at? I hope it's in the living God. I hope it's in the one who has saved you. You need assurance. I, I tell people this all the time. 
First of all, we have the word of God. Second of all, we have the promises of God. Third of all, we have the character of God who keeps all of his promises. And fourth, we have the spirit of God who dwells in us and speaks to us and ministers to us and assures us, you are a child of God. But then also we are commanded to be rooted and built up in the word of God. To know what the word of God says and to trust him and to always look to him for everything. First Peter, wrapping up with this. First Peter chapter 1. I want to read this text. I love this text. I, I like all the Bible, but this is just one. I just love this text. I mean, he just goes through so many things to tell us uh, of the love of God and the power of God and the mercy of God and the salvation of God and the goodness of God. Listen to what he says. Blessed be the God, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I'm getting excited, so I forget to give you the reference, okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You're being guarded. If you're in Christ, I mean, God is guarding you. There's no way you're going to stop being a believer. If you're genuine, and there's no way. No one can snatch you out of the hands of the Father. Absolutely no one. And he's telling us this. And then he says this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials that fall from the sky and rise up out of the ground and blow across. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Beautiful text. Y'all hear what it said? So that the tested genuineness of your faith. Oh, these things for those who are in Christ, those who hear and do the words of God, those trials that come our way, those are testing. It tests us. It tests the genuineness of our faith. And you may be thinking, well, of course. I mean, God wants to see if we're genuine. God knows if you're genuine. He wants to make sure you know you're genuine. He wants to make sure you know that you can endure, that you can keep going forward. He wants you to know it. So we go through trials. We go through tribulations. But he always redeems. He builds us up. And he makes us more and more like Jesus. I want you to know that we have a fall to avoid. And that house built on the rock, it won't fall. It can't fall. That's what he's saying. I mean, he's saying what Peter's saying. There's no way that anybody's going to snatch you out of his hands. If you're genuinely in Christ Jesus. And the way we know is because of God, but also because of the work that he does in us that we couldn't do on our best day.
But it says there that that house that was built on sand, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. This Greek word is pointing to something about this. Remember, these people heard the words of Christ. And as a result, they built their house on sand. They knew the same truth. They had the same truth. But they built as they wished. They built according to their will and their way. They built in such a way that they came to a place where they fell. The word means to fall with the implication of falling from a great height. In other words, what they built was lovely. I mean, it was beautiful. Maybe two, three stories, vast expanse, lots of rooms, fancy. They had all the Jesus art on the walls, okay? All right? All, all, the, all the scriptures and all the, all the Jesus art, they had all those things. They had Bibles on the tables. They believed the same thing as you and I believe. Uh, they had a full wardrobe of Christian t-shirts and coffee mugs. They went to church every single Sunday. They were a shining example of the American dream. And here we have a picture of a final judgment. It says, great is their fall. The only way to avoid this fall is faith and hope in Jesus Christ. The only way to avoid this fall is to hear the words of Jesus in the gospel and live and do those words. Oh my, call upon the name of the Lord. Trust Him. It's Jesus, this God in flesh, who died on the cross to bear your sin and to bear your punishment. This God who died on the cross, but rose from the grave. And death has been defeated in Him. And sin is powerless in Him. Call on Him. And then go do what He commands. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank You. Lord, that You have given us Your gospel that we may trust and believe, but also that we may live. And I pray, God, for those here today, Lord, who may have never heard the gospel till today. And, Father, that today, Lord, they would call on you and be saved. That they would see their own sinfulness and they would see their own great need for a Savior. And they would see Jesus as the only way. And, Father, they would enter by the narrow gate and they would never get off, no matter what comes. Father, that they would long to know you more and more. We thank you, God, for hearing our prayer, and we thank you, God, for your precious word, and we thank you for your spirit who dwells in us, and we thank you, Lord, for giving us a life to live and live to the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name.